2020 is almost like living in the book 1984. People are worried about big brother, big government, the wealth gap, and being mind-controlled. And there's other things like boredom and loneliness. There's a lot of talk in the news about government debt, the stimulus package, and the economy. You may wonder, where does all this money come from? There's fear about political corruption, censorship, fake news media. It gets a little muddy when trying to figure out how it all works. One way to look at it might be simple. What if we follow the money? Well, today we're going to take a deeper dive into the recent monetary policy trends from our big brother government. In other words, the government's been printing a bunch of money. What's the implications? And what happens when we follow the paper trail? Let's try to connect some dots here. And maybe, maybe it'll take us to Silicon Valley in China. My name is Michael, and I will not only provide you some basic understanding of how the economy works, but also get a bigger picture conspiracy behind crony capitalism, behind government and big tech. This is the Observation Theory. Let's get it. Ray Dalio, a popular billionaire investor and author, has been an advocate for understanding economic paradigms and how they have shifted throughout history. This, he argues, help understand where we might be at today. And what does this mean exactly? It means looking at the world and history through a lens of money and markets. He particularly studies the history of currencies and how they rise and fall over time. Recently, in an interview with Yahoo, he described three key forces that will have major implications on our future. There are three big things that are going on in the world um, that are dominant, and then COVID came along. Those three forces are, first, the long-term debt and monetary cycle, which I mean um, the creating a lot of debt, monetizing it, and the implications of that which reverberate through the system in terms of all the markets and everything. The second um, is uh, this conflict, this polarization, this wealth gap, and how we're at each other's throats. And I looked at the wealth gap, and I looked at a lot of measures of conflict going back in time, and I found that it, they were in the 1930 to 45 period, the printing of money as I described, and debt monetization was also in the 1930 to 45 period. And the third big influence is the rise of China, so the rise of a great power, challenging an existing great power, the United States. To get a better understanding of what he's talking about, let's start with some of the basics in understanding how the first key force, the long-term debt cycle, works. So I know what you might be thinking, Economics can be a bit boring and complicated, but it's really important since it impacts how you should be thinking about your savings and where your future opportunities might be. When you also consider the impact of money in our political system, corporations, and foreign relationships, things get a little bit more interesting and spicy. So let's take a wide view lens of how money moves and shakes. So if you're fortunate to have some money sitting in your bank account, over time, it's going to be affected by two things, interest rates and inflation. 
The interest rate is the amount you get paid while your money sits in the bank. On the other hand, inflation is essentially the amount of money you lose over time if your money is just sitting there. So McDonald's breakfast used to be under $5 maybe a few years ago, but now it costs maybe around 7 You still get the same amount of food, but why did the price go up? That's right, inflation. Today, most savings accounts have very low interest rates, and U.S. inflation is typically higher than the interest rates that you get from the bank. So, if you hold money within a savings account for a long period of time, you're actually losing money. That's why you hear about building wealth through either real estate or the stock market. In a broad stroke, the money you put into real estate or the stock market appreciates at a higher rate than inflation. And in fact, you can actually make more money on top of it. For example, if you bought a house 40 years ago for $100,000, and today, that house is now worth $300,000, well now, you can afford the $7 breakfast at McDonald's because you beat inflation. Of course, there's risk associated with doing real estate or stocks, and that opens up more situations where you can lose money, and that's a lot of the reasons why many people don't do either. There's a million other details that go into this, but generally, this is why both interest rates and inflation are important to the money for your savings. Now, let's consider how the government plays into this. The government is not a corporation. The government generally makes money in two ways, taxes and debt. We know how taxes work, but how does the government make money through debt? Through the U.S. Department of Treasury, the government can issue things like bonds. Banks or consumers can buy these bonds in an open marketplace, just like how people buy stocks. When you buy a government bond, you're putting money into the government and basically giving it some cash flow. Interest rates and inflation are both impacted by the varying levels about how the government uses these bonds. Then, the government can work with central banks to balance the amount of money flowing through the economy. The central bank, which is a private company called the Federal Reserve, is the main lever that the government implements monetary policy. Hence, it's called the central bank. The key piece to the story today is that the central bank has the power to print money. When you hear about the government printing a bunch of money, it's the central bank that does it. The central bank can buy large amounts of government bonds, and this is called quantitative easing. And this was really popularly used in 2008 to get us out of the crisis, and it's become the prominent tactic used in our economy today. A big change has been the volume of money that the central bank prints to buy government bonds, which, as I mentioned before, provides cash to Uncle Sam. Governments can use this money on different things like infrastructure or social services. What's new and recent is that in 2008, the government used the printed money to bail out the corporations. In 2020, the printed money was redistributed directly to citizens in need, providing the stimulus package that paid out $1,200 to everyone and made us all happy. The central bank printed money, bought government bonds, and then the government used that money to stimulate the economy. It's important to note the extent that it's being used is a new trend and it has important political implications for our future, which I'll cover more in the back half of this episode. But for the everyday person, what the central bank and government does is important because it impacts every aspect of our economy, which eventually impacts our savings and investments. And the way I think about the meaning of this 
is that the central bank has been stimulating a lot of fake growth over time in recent, the past decade. When the president talks about the stock market shooting up or the economy being the highest it's ever been, it's tremendous. This growth is not because our economy is more productive, but this growth is caused by the printing of money from the Federal Reserve. And our recovery essentially has come from monopoly money. So should we be worried about America printing so much money? Well, the Federal Reserve recently stated that it will essentially not let the stock market fail. They will continue printing money to ensure that the economy stays afloat. And this is important to many of us because our 401k, or retirement funds, are tied to the stock market. Our retirements are based on the growth of the American economy through a mixture of assets, including bonds and stocks. So when you hear about the corporate bailouts of 2008, the COVID-19 stock market recovery, and increasing government debt, this all relates back to the practice of printing crazy amounts of money to fund these efforts. Economic growth in a healthy environment typically comes with innovations and increases in productivity. The more goods and services you can provide, and with greater efficiency, stimulates more wealth through consumer purchasing and international trading. Again, in this past decade, this growth has been stimulated more by money printing instead. So your next question might be, how are we able to get away with this? That's because the US dollar is the reserve currency for the global economy. Essentially what that means is, the US dollar is used internationally to conduct trades in exchange. In 2019, 61% of the foreign exchanges was dealt through the US dollar. The reserve currency usually belongs to the most powerful and wealthiest country, which in the past hundred years has been America. And in addition to using the dollar for international trade, foreign countries also either borrow or invest into the US economy. And this really is the same as what you might be doing, just at the scales of billions and trillions of dollars. So just as you don't want the stock market and economy to fail, neither do any of these other countries. Ray Dalio and others who have studied the history on the rise and fall of reserve currencies, they've done this in order to help better understand some of our current circumstances. The important piece to take away here is that the crazy amount of money printing is not new. The bad part is that the printing of more money typically happens right before the reserve currency loses its status, and this would be a changing of world powers. In history, money was printed to fund wars and maintain empire building. So how does this relate to the other two key forces that Ray Dalio mentioned? So the second key force was the increasing wealth gap. The third key force was China. When there's a higher wealth gap, it not only increases the differences in money people have, but also a difference in perspective. Because each side cares about different things, and the wider that the money gap grows, the wider that their politics may grow. And this becomes more polarized as some people experience more and more affluence, while others suffer more and more. And again, this is looking at everything through the lens of money and markets. When the government prints a bunch of money, it tends to boost up the stock market and equities. And the impact of this is unequal and favors the extremely wealthy because they are the ones who are more invested. And the influential wealthy people that we should be kind of worried about are not really the doctors or business people who make, you know, even a million to a few million dollars a year. 
Think about the CEOs, the mega-rich, stock investors, and basically big corporate money. These are the people whose wealth is more significantly tied to the stock market, as opposed to their salary. So think about how most CEOs' wealth comes from stock options and not their salary. These are the type of people that are playing the stock market in a big way, not just your average investor for retirement. These are the ones who I think we need to worry about. That's why I hate when politicians tell us about you know, sticking it to the wealthy and taxing those who make more than 400000 as a way of hitting the mega-rich. There are levels to this big wealth game. And taxing our doctors and entrepreneurs, who are in the range of 400 k to even a few million, to me, is a diversion tactic. It's a way to demonize one another and create a straw man enemy without really understanding the real players. Think about it. The mega wealthy who fund politicians are probably not going to be as hurt as much by certain tax increases, just by the nature of funding the politicians. This is just relationships. It goes with the saying, don't bite the hand that feeds you. So how might the government and mega wealthy be working together? Let's consider the changing dynamic that Ray Dalio lays out about free market capitalism and government redistribution of money. Do we need a rethink of monetary policy that's more targeted, that actually can help stimulate those who really need it? Well, that's what monetary policy three is. So monetary policy one is uh, interest rate based. Monetary policy two is the classic quantitative easing. Federal Reserve buys or central banks buy financial assets. Monetary policy three, which is now what we are seeing, and what is needed is um, the production of that debt um, through government borrowing and the government direction of those checks to those who need it most. That's what we just saw. And that being then monetized by the central banks. And so we're in a new era, okay, of monetary policy three, as I call it. Monetary policy three will mean that the free market will play a much less role at, at a, uh, in determining those capital market flows, that the government, as we come into the, the future, will be thinking, how do I get that money to those who need it the most? So it'll be a highly political decision, much more political than it was in the past, and that the central bank then will monetize those political decisions. So monetary policy three means there's that type of cooperation. So let me put myself in the shoes of an evil, mega wealthy, corporate rich person. I have two options for myself. I can either compete in the free markets, or I can promote big government where I have policy and the Federal Reserve in my pocket which now has more power to control the free markets. In other words, crony capitalism. Ray Dalio alludes to the idea that in the future, the health of the economy will be less about the flow of goods and services through the free market and more about political decisioning. Now, these type of decisions could potentially be used for wealth redistribution, just like it was for the COVID um, stimulus package, or we can use them for other tactics to reduce the wealth gap. However, 
I'm pretty skeptical about that kind of power being always used for the general good. Even if it started that way, you know, who knows? So again, the stock market and the value of your savings account will be less about economic productivity and more about voting. Kind of strange, right? Remember, the growth of our recent economy has not been stimulated by free market innovation driven by competition, but rather by the printing of money, which is a monetary policy. And this is a new trend. So back to Mr. Evil's perspective. So you're telling me the Federal Reserve is a private bank which I can use to artificially control the stock market prices and increase my holdings and wealth. And if I get in bed with them, I have this tool to control the free markets artificially and I am using the US dollar, which is the reserve currency. Therefore, anything I say goes. This seems pretty attractive to me as an evil, mega, wealthy, corporate, rich person. Anyways, I'm just hypothesizing here. I don't know everything, but I'm just connecting the dots on what I've learned so far. So please, just amuse my thoughts. Okay, so let's put a face to the crony capitalists. And who might they be? My theory would be big tech in Silicon Valley. While these businesses are great for society, they are also the companies who benefit the most from speculative markets, or the stock market. Think about how the stock market is carried by big tech. The growth of the S&P 500 is heavily influenced by the likes of Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and Tesla, among others. Then I also thought about how companies like Twitter, Uber, and Tesla get most of their revenue from investment funding, at least within their initial years, just to stay afloat. The fundamental part of the businesses are not actually profitable. And the general idea is that the investors will eventually get their returns based on the value of the company in the future. George Salapa is a guest writer on publishers like VentureBeat, Forbes, and CNN. He postulates that these companies are almost like public goods. It could be stated that these companies are representative of a new generation of businesses that have been funded by flowing money from the Federal Reserve. How? He states that in the era of quantitative easing, companies can borrow from the government very cheaply, in other words, low or zero interest rates, and investors are hungry and incentivized to push these companies' valuations up to provide yield and more profits. And then the other thing to consider is, what do these companies provide back to the investors outside of just their stock market value and profit? Well. It's data. It's our data. It's our habits, our behaviors, our news, our information, our clicks, our distractions. It's control. So to the last key force, how does China play into this? Well, again, imagine I am Mr. Evil, mega wealth corporate rich person. And one part I forgot to mention is that also I'm a Westerner. Well, China is an Eastern communistic power. And they're looking over here thinking, damn, those white boys are literally manipulating the game. They're literally printing money to control the game. They manipulate the free markets. They stimulate the tech companies. They have vast amounts of data on their citizens. And they own the US dollar, which is the reserve currency. 
And I have to kind of do what they say. I'm stuck with the leftovers. What Americans do impacts me. And I don't like what's going on over there. But I really just don't have much say. So what might I do? At what point will this fake money no longer count as credit for me? We're China. We're becoming the biggest economy. We have our own tech companies. We have become producers of innovation. Our stock markets are improving. And we have the biggest population. Well, maybe it's time to rewrite the script. Maybe it's time we take control. So tell me, how does war look like in the 21st century? Thanks for listening. This is The Observation Theory.